Colossians chapter 3, starting in uh, verses 1. Before I read that, I just wanted to say something um, about um, all the people that are here, all of you that are here, and the different personalities and people we have. Um, You may be more extroverted, you may be more introverted, and so sometimes, um, sometimes people... I'm just going to throw this out there. Sometimes people leave churches because they don't feel known. And um, I remember I was a part of a church in California that was about, had about 1,000 people. And for all of those people, the funny, the funny thing is, is the bigger a church gets, the, more, the harder it is to know people and to be known. In a small church, everybody knows each other really well. And so people would walk by each other in the hall and and not say hello to each other. And one person thought, oh, that guy wasn't very friendly. And the other person thought, oh, that guy wasn't very friendly. And so I want to say to you this morning, um, regardless of whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, take it upon yourself to embody the hospitality and grace and love of Jesus. And if you see somebody uh, that you don't know well, uh, either a visitor or someone that you, you sit a couple aisles away from, say hello to them. You be the one to reach out to someone else. Don't sit in the corner saying, nobody came and talked to me today. You be the one to embody the friendship and the hospitality that Jesus um, wants us to, to, uh, to embody. Uh, psalm says, um, there's a psalm that says, uh, he who has friends must show himself friendly. So I just say that as encouragement, uh, as, as a body of believers, that we would not only get to know each other better, but that that would be such a, a normal thing for us that when the visitor, the skeptic, the unbeliever, the seeker comes in, that we just naturally embrace them in a spirit of friendship and love and hospitality. Um, So Colossians 3, uh, verse 1 through 4, and it reads, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, now we pray for the unction of your spirit, We pray, O God, that you would honor us with your presence. Lord, even the preaching of the word of God uh, does not have life and power without the presence of your Holy Spirit illuminating our minds and hearts that we might be able to know you better, know ourselves better, and serve you better. Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts, convince us of the truths found here in this passage, and let it transform and change us. Let your people be edified and your name be glorified. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Uh, On Friday, we entered the new year. And of course, um, some of us may have had New Year's resolutions. Um, I don't know, does anyone, just a show of hands, did anyone have a resolution? You guys are over the resolutions, right? You know they don't work. Well, some people make resolutions, and even if you don't officially say, this is my resolution, there are certainly things that you probably want to to do this new year. Um, You want to, you know, you want to lose weight or make better financial decisions, or uh, you want to treat people better, 
Uh, you want to read your Bible more? How's that? That's a good one, right? I mean, we all need to do that. We all need to read our Bibles more. Those are good things. Um, and we should all have that resolution. Uh, and still yet, some of us um, see the new year as a fresh start. Um, the, the, old is, uh, the old year is past. Last year is gone. It's dead. Um, maybe some bad things happened last year. You want to shut the door um, on 2015 and open a new season or a new chapter uh, of your life that's unstained by the hurts or pains that maybe were committed against you or maybe you committed against someone else. And you want to shut the door and close the chapter on last year's misfortunes, maybe. But at the heart of the new year is the reality that the last year is over. It's gone. It's dead. And there's a new year. Um, a new year to uh, begin new things, to do new things. And so there's an optimism that comes with the new year. right? We say to each other, Happy New Year. We're supposed to be happy that there's a new year. The last year is fading into the distance. Here in Colossians, Paul has just drawn out the implications of dying with Christ. And the Colossians have left behind the old age. So this is how Paul sees life in Christ versus life without Christ. Life without Christ is the old man, the old woman. It is an old age in Paul's mind. And when we come into Christ... We have new life in Christ, and we have entered into a new age. In other words, what is true about the future breaks in to our lives right now because Christ is making us new. Does that make sense? So this is what Paul's talking about. And you remember when we were in Colossians chapter 2, there's all this talk of death, right? Uh, He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, He says, you were buried with Christ in baptism, verse 12. He says then in verse 21, if you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? There's all this talk in chapter 2 about about death. You know, you were were dead in sins, you were buried with Christ, uh, you were dead in your trespasses. And... um, What Paul is saying is that the old man, the old woman, has died, right? That old person has died, and he draws out the implications of having risen with Christ. You were dead in sins, you were alive to the world, but now you are dead to your sins, and what he's saying is you're alive to God through Jesus Christ. You've entered a new age. You belong in this new relationship with God by right, not of your own doing, but because of Jesus. You don't have to try to attain to the status of God's people. You are a part of God's people. And you already have this status. It's not something you're working towards, but because of this new status, um, you now must simply allow this life to be worked out in you, right? So people that live certain lives or certain lifestyles, they do certain things. 
And so Paul's point is that this new status, this status as uh, being a part of the family of God, brings with it a lifestyle. There are four things I want you to see from, from these verses in Colossians 1, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, and there are four, here's the four things. You're to pursue new affections. You're to think new thoughts. We are to forget the old life. And fourth, consider your new future. I'll repeat those again. Pursue new affections, think new thoughts, forget the old life, and consider your new future. In verse 1 he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things above where Christ is, at the right hand of God, seated. To seek the things that are above isn't a spatial dichotomy. As if your life here, down on earth, is kind of irrelevant, and you're just supposed to set your heart on your cloudy future. You know, your future in the clouds, your future in the heavens, and just kind of think about those things because none of the, none of the things down here matter. That's not what Paul is saying. That is how some Christians have interpreted this uh, through the ages, but that's not what Paul is trying to say. Uh, It's not a spatial dichotomy, as if we shouldn't bother with our lives down here because we simply want to go to heaven. Seeking the things that are above relates to our pursuits. Okay? So when we're seeking the things that are above, it relates to the things we pursue in our lives. Are we seeking things that are connected to this world system? I'm not talking about providing for your family and going to work. Those are things that God wants us to do. We glorify God when we fulfill our obligations to be responsible and provide and and all of the different things we have to do. But the idea is, where is your heart? Is your heart rooted and grounded in the things of this age, of this world? Or are, is your heart oriented to the things of God? That's what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> are we edifying ourselves and others by pursuing godly things? You know, our tendency is to seek harmful things. Um, there are things we seek. Maybe I can get at this point by kind of highlighting things we seek that that aren't heavenly, okay? Maybe I can kind of flip, flip this up on its ear to kind of get at what we're talking about. Um, we, in our culture, wealth is an enormous, enormous idol that people seek after. 1 Timothy 6 and 9 says, Those who seek to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So there's an example of not seeking the things that are above, but seeking the things which are below, pursuing riches. Jesus told the parable of the rich fool. And he was a man, if you don't remember, um, in Luke 12, 13, the rich fool had his barns filled with grain. Does anyone know the story? Just by a show of hands, right? His barns are filled with grain, and he says to himself, what do I do now that my barns can't hold more grain? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns, 
And when those barns, when, I've, when my new barn is filled up with grain, then I'll say to myself, soul, this is the King James Version I grew up on, soul, take thine ease. <laughs> soul, take your, you know, take it easy, relax now, you've got, you know, everything you need, right? There's nothing to worry about. And God said to him, you fool, This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things that you've prepared or stored up for yourself, whose will they be? You can't take it with you into the next life. That's how it is, Jesus says, with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, just a quick qualifier here. It's good to plan and have a retirement account and life insurance and all those things. That's good. Um, the Bible says a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Nothing wrong with that. But the point that Jesus is trying to make in terms of our pursuits is that you can be rich in this world and poor towards God. And that's bad. And the point for us is seeking the things above means being rich towards God. Seeking the things above means that we're rich towards God, that we're storing up treasure where? In heaven and not on earth, where thieves break through and steal. Um, Seeking the things above means learning to be rich towards God. Because the more you invest in Christ's work on earth, the more you'll be connected to Christ's home in heaven. Right? It says, seek the things above where where Christ is seated at God's right hand. Another way of seeking the wrong things and not seeking the things above is we can tend to be infatuated with our own welfare and our own image, right? This is something we're all probably guilty of. We can tend to be infatuated with our own welfare and our own image, and we live in a culture that is just geared for that. It's just, I mean, our culture helps us do that. And so that's another way um, that we are not seeking the things above. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. So seek the things above. Right? Let's invert this model. If it's bad to do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, seeking our own welfare constantly, our own image, then it's good to seek the welfare of others. It's good to, to, to care about other people and to seek to, to bless them. I'm fascinated by the show Preppers. Is anybody familiar with that show? Preppers? I got one person in here. I'm sure more of you are familiar. Anyways, somebody said, I love that show. Who said that? Yeah, I love that show too. Uh, I'm into the wilderness and uh, into hiking and camping, and I, so I'm into survival. And so I'm fascinated with survival. I don't know, something happened in 2006 or seven where I thought, you know, if, if the grid melted down, like, how would I, you know, take care of my family? So I just got into, you know, started thinking about, not preppers, but how could I survive if we, we had to, like, run to the mountains or something? I don't know. So I got into hiking and camping and wilderness survival, and I watched Bear Grylls and Survivor Man and all those guys and all the little tricks about how, you know, how to make a fire out of a shoelace or something crazy like that. Well, in the show, they, uh, they assess uh, 
um, the preparations um, by different people. Some people are expecting like the zombie apocalypse or something, right? Or the grid or an EMP. They've all got their own reasons for prepping. But it's interesting to see what they do. But time after time, after every episode, they all get marked down for almost the same thing. They've got their weapons, they've got their high walls, their security cameras, they, they've got, you know, you know, algae that creates food, they've got all these crazy things going on, and one of the things they, they get marked down on is not incorporating their neighbors. In other words, you probably don't have to have all of those things if you simply had a connection with your neighbors and there was a sense of community seeking the welfare of each other, which means your neighbor, you know, your, your neighbor might not, might not want to kill you for what you have if, if you've incorporated them into your survival plan. And they all, they all seem to like miss that. I mean, that's a part of our nature. Seeking the things above means seeking the welfare of your neighbor. It means, it means putting others before yourself, or at the very least, considering uh, uh, the condition or status of others, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, all of that. That's what seeking the things above are. It means seeking the welfare of others. Are you seeking the things above? Are your pursuits oriented towards God's values? Or are they simply self-serving, centered on yourself? And I want to say this. Right now, the church's credibility problem is not our doctrine. Unbelievers are not arguing with us over the finer points of our theology. They have a problem with our ethos. Does that make sense? They have a problem believing that the church really does care and embody the love of Jesus Christ for, for its community. That's, that's the disconnect right now. We've got tons of doctrine. You know, we, we've got plenty. I mean, there's a lot of it, and a lot of good doctrine. And doctrine's important, but that's not our, that's not our credibil- credibility gap with the world. The credibility gap we have with the world is our ethos. And so keep that in mind. Um, When we proclaim the glory and love of Jesus to a dark and dying world, uh, the world starts to pay attention. Uh, 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans, let the unbeliever have no opportunity for accusation against you, that on the day when God actually touches them and reaches out to them, they can say, yeah, I, 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 I get that. That person, my neighbor, he's a Christian. My coworker, she's a Christian. Yeah, this is making sense. This person loves differently. They behave differently. They act differently. This is, all, this is all to create an open door for the gospel. And then secondly, in verse 2, we're to think new thoughts. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Perhaps the biggest um, change that comes with a new life in Christ is the way we think and what we think about. Right? I mean, the battle really is in here, right? Because, you know, after a while, you kind of, uh, you stop doing the, the visible, you know, the big sins, right? You're not robbing banks and, and, 
you know, doing other things like that, you know, uh, being promiscuous or whatever, and, you know, right, you, you kind of, your life kind of reflects a, you know, good buttoned up, you know, good law-abiding citizen, you're kind of, you know, a good person on the surface, but, but ultimately, we're to think new thoughts, because thoughts ultimately manifest themselves in actions, and so you may eliminate what seems on the surface as the big sins, but if your thoughts are not oriented to the things above, you'll start to do things certainly in private. You can be a public success and a private failure, if that makes sense. And so uh, it's what we think about. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so this setting our mind on things uh, above and not on the earth is simply just about thinking God's thoughts after him. Right? Uh, Isaiah 55 says, you know, God says, My ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are above your ways, my thoughts are above your thoughts. He's not saying my thoughts are actually located you know, at 90,000 feet. And that, that way they're above, right? I mean, you could be in a jet plane and be thinking wicked thoughts, you know, at 30,000 feet. That's not the point. Sometimes we think that way, right? It's a spatial dichotomy. You know, I'm low at sea level and God is on Everest. And that's the difference. It's actually, it's not what God is talking about. It's just a, a way to describe that God wants us to think his thoughts after him, think thoughts that are godly, righteous, and holy, that glorify him. Right? So he says they're above. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Peter O'Brien in his commentary on Colossians says, The Colossians are exhorted to think on the things of heaven, not only because they died with Christ to the old order, but also to describe the life of the age to come, which will be received on the final day, which through the resurrection of Christ from the dead has become for the believer a present reality. And this is what this passage is getting at. Your future, your future resurrection life, one day that you actually do rise from the dead, or the Lord comes back, whichever happens sooner, you will be living with God forever. Heaven will finally come to earth in a new heaven and a new earth in an in, in eternal new age. But that reality is true right now. It's not been manifested fully, but what's true about the future is, 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 is breaking into the present right now because of our union with Jesus Christ. And so thinking thoughts that are above, Philippians 4.8 unpacks this concept of your mind thinking on thoughts above. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So there you have it. That's what, that's what it means to think on things above. Um, because we've been raised with Christ and participate in his resurrection life, our thoughts are to be oriented towards what it means to be the people of God and bear his name. It's hard to set your mind on things above when you're always filling your mind with garbage. 
So there's the, there's the disconnect, you know? Why can't I concentrate on the things of God? Why am I thinking impure thoughts? Well, if you fill your mind with garbage, right? You, it's, it's hard to think these holy thoughts, these pure thoughts. It's hard to do that. And then third, in verse 3, we're to forget the old life. Pursue new affections, think new thoughts, verses 1 and 2. And now verse 3, forget the old life. Verse 3 says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is kind of a mystical, you know, confusing statement here. You died and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Paul's mind, whoever you were before you knew Christ, that person no longer exists. Not in any spiritual continuity, at least. The person you are now is not that person. The person you are now is changed, different, and transformed. You've been renewed. You've been born again, as it says in John 3 and 5. When you were dead to God because of your sins, you were alive to the world. But now... You're dead to the world, right? You died. And you're alive to God because of Jesus. That's the point he's trying to make. Remember a few weeks, you might remember, I talked about what it meant to be dead, something to be dead to you and you to be dead to someone, right? You know, it's like a a story of a a friend who's betrayed you. Your best friend betrayed you. And you, you don't talk to them anymore. And you say, you know, that person's dead to me. That person isn't literally dead. But there is no connection, no relationship whatsoever with that person. And this is the kind of concept, this is the idea that Paul is using to say you're dead to the world. The world system of its sins and abominations and its rebellion against God, you're dead to that system. That system is dead to you. You died to to that way of life. So what does he mean when he says our life is hidden with Christ in God? What in the world does that mean? Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. Well, it means partly that on the surface, we're just like everyone else. If there's something unique about Christians, it's not immediately evident to others unless God reveals it. Right? I mean, on the surface, you don't look any different. Um, I think there was a... Do you remember that, uh, that television show 25 years ago with uh, the wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper? Was it a movie? And aliens had kind of come, and they looked just like everybody else, but if you had certain glasses on, you could, like, you could see. It's, you know, I don't remember the show. Paul's back there going, yeah, I remember it. I think, I, think, I think it was a movie, and it became a TV series. But on the surface, you couldn't tell who they were, and so our lives are hidden with Christ in God. On the surface, we look just like everyone else, And it's not exactly clear, even to us, how our lives are hidden. I mean, what actually is different about our life? Yeah, we think different things. Something spiritual has taken place, but, you know, on on many levels, we kind of seem just like everyone else. So it's not immediately clear unless God reveals it. Uh, We're to leave the old life behind because God has hidden us in Christ leaving the old life behind. I think about Lot and his wife uh, and the story in Genesis 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know the story, um, God is destroying Sodom and Gomorrah for its wickedness. 
And Lot and his family are to leave the city. And the angels come and they deliver them. And the fire and brimstone literally comes down. And what happens to Lot's wife? You just call it out. What happened to her? She, she looked back, and what happened? She turned to a pillar of salt, right? Um, <clears throat> this is what Paul is getting at. You died. Stop looking back. That life is dead. It's gone. That life is about the life that is, is, is bringing wrath. There is wrath stored up for that way of thinking. There is wrath stored up for that life. And so that life is dead. That's what he's saying. That, this, that life is dead. Um, J.C. Ryle, the great um, Anglican preacher of the 19th century, preached a sermon uh, called Remember Lot's Wife, A Woman to Be Remembered. And it was, it was all on this topic. It's a very powerful sermon. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's a point that he's making for us to realize that that way of life is gone and it's over with. This mystical union we have with Christ which we're not even really sure how we are united to Christ. It's a mystical thing. Except that the Holy Spirit is working in us and conforming us to the likeness and image of Jesus. doesn't mean that our nose and our ears and our body will start to look like him. It means that spiritually we start to resemble who Jesus was. We're conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus. And in the process... We're recreated in the image of God. The image of God was marred in us after the fall in the garden, but through Jesus Christ, that image, image bearing, reflecting the nature of the God that made us, is restored over time as Christ is formed in us. That was kind of a mouthful. I hope it makes sense. Um, What Paul is saying is be who you are, you're a Christian. You no longer belong to the world. Stop acting like it and start acting like the new life in Christ you have. I probably could have said that in the beginning and we could have moved on. But, but that's a summary of everything that, that I just said. Be who you are. You are a Christian. Don't act like you're not. Don't act like the person God delivered you from. The world system that God delivered you from. Be what you are. You are a Christian. Live in a way that reflects it. It's a simple message. And then fourth, um, we're to consider our new future. Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, see see the logical transition here? You died, that life is over. Think on things above. The life you once had is gone. You have a new life, and this new life is centered in and around your relationship, and the knowledge of Christ. And so Paul uses this kind of hyperbolic language. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden, okay, it's hidden, but when Christ appears, it'll be revealed. That's the, that's the contrast he's making here. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, but the day is coming When Christ will appear, and that life you have now, which is hidden, will also appear. The Greek word could be translated revealed. Your life will also be revealed in glory. 
So here's, here's a future reality that Paul is saying, contemplate this. Consider your new future. When you consider the future, it affects how you live right now. When, when, you, when you think about, right, um, some of you who are, Jay just retired, and I'm sure that the years building up to retirement, you had plans for retirement, I'm assuming. You, you seem like a planner. And he, he ordered his life in such a way that comported with the future that he knew was coming. Couldn't work forever. He was going to retire. He had some plans. He wanted to visit his family more, travel, do some other things, you know, personally, privately for business or whatever. And so he lived his life in such a way that prepared for the future, and now the future's here. <clears throat> That's how we're supposed to live in such a way that considers the future. By faith, we're incorporated. By faith, we've been incorporated into the death and life of Jesus. And Paul gets at gets this elsewhere in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live? But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is our life. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The fleshly, worldly sinner is no longer at the helm of the ship. Jesus Christ is. That's what he's saying. It's Christ living in me. Christ is working in me to do and work his good will and pleasure. Philippians 1.21 iterates it another way. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ. Does anyone know the second half of that verse? To die is gain. My brother passed away in 2003, and he wanted that on his headstone. He had always said, you know, if I ever died, I want that on my headstone. To, to live is Christ and to die is gain, which means the future is not bleak for us. The future is bright for us. This life isn't going to last forever. We live our lives with the knowledge that this life is brief and that the future is bright because of Jesus Christ. This is what it means when it says, Christ, who is your life. Your life is enmeshed in him, hidden in him, one with him, united to him. You've been given a new life in Christ. And then finally, he says, you will also appear with him in glory. Uh, The Christian life isn't just a mystery uh, to unbelievers, but sort of to us also. 1 John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, This is talking about us appearing in glory. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When Christ who appears, when Christ who is our life appears, we will also appear with him in glory. We're the bearers of a new humanity. We're being renewed in Christ in our bodies in ways that are hidden even to our own knowledge. And we're being renewed in the image of our creator. How exactly it's happening is somewhat of a mystery. um, But this one thing is certain. That what's hidden will one day be revealed. And you have to live that way. Um, 
When Christ returns, we'll all be glorified. What God is doing in us and through his Son will be made manifest to the world around us. And that's something that seems abstract and it's hard for us to kind of grab a hold of, right? Because right now you're just trudging along like everybody else, kind of the rat race of daily life. But there's a time coming where the sons and daughters of God will be glorified and exalted with him. That's powerful. And it should change the way we live. What's true about the future is breaking into the present. The Bible's a book of renewal. A book of new beginnings. A new year, a new day, a new hope, a new birth, a new person with a new life, a new covenant, a new heaven and a new earth. Never view the past as an infallible predictor of the present or the future. God has renewed us by his blood in his son Jesus and is renewing us and he will make all things new for his glory. God is always outdoing himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now that, uh, that we have received these words. We thank you, O oh God, for this admonishment that the person that was dead in our sins, that we were dead in our sins and alive to the world, that that person who was alive to the world is now dead. We're no longer dead in our sins, but we're alive to Christ. And although we don't fully understand in what ways you have changed us, we know, O oh God, that it is enough for us to acknowledge and accept that we are yours, we are yours, your own. And you are making us like your son Jesus by your blood and through the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that we would be able to pursue new things, new affections, that we would think new thoughts, that we would forget the old life, and that we would consider our new future. We thank you for these things. In your son's name we pray. Thank mm-hmm. you.